Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Revolution. It says we're live. It's Halloween. Happy Halloween, or for my Lutheran friends, Reformation Day, or for my non-Halloween celebrating friends, what's it called, um, I don't know, Harvest Day or something, we made up. So, yeah, we're here, I'm back, um, I want to thank Josh for filling in for me last week, um, that was nice of him. Uh, just got back from uh, Belfast and was had the kiddos and was kind of exhausted. So, you know, trying to get the 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 uh, what is it? Uh, the jet lag, jet lag worn worn through dealing with that. But Belfast was amazing. Um, spent about 10 days there. Um, it was really cool. Uh, and, oh man, I've been back, I guess, over a week now. So, had a little heartbreak before then, so that's tough. If anybody knows what that's like. Um, so dealing with, you know, personal stuff, just like we all are in life every day, trying to make it through this thing called life. Uh, which can be, you know, pretty tough at times. So we do what we do. Um, it's funny, I've got like five people requesting to be on camera. I think that's probably a mistake, but who knows. <laughs> um, yeah, so welcome to Revolution Gathering, folks. And here we are, back in the USA. Um... If you're thinking, Jay looks a little like Chuck Norris, is because I, I tried this, this little thing called Touch of Gray, you know, because I'm always gray right here and I always look like I have a goatee. So I was like, oh, I'll just try this Touch of Gray, you know, and maybe won't look like a goatee all the time. And it didn't work out quite right, turned kind of purple. So then I was like, oh, I'll just try it a little more. And then I ended up looking like Chuck Norris because it's just now it's like I look like five years younger. So, yeah, vanity, am I right, folks? You know, if this goes gray, then I can just do it all gray, but it's like just the goatee looking thing is kind of, just not my thing. I don't want a goatee. I look like I'm gonna, you know, make some political argument in my truck, but I don't want to look like that. Um, anyway, it's Halloween. So tonight we are gonna go celebrate with the kids. Uh, me and my ex uh, will uh, have trick-or-treating. Milo is a scary skeleton and Minnie's gonna be a Harley Quinn. And I don't, you know, it's like, I'm trying to think how she even knows who Harley Quinn is, but she was very excited about it. There is this, like, little girls superhero show. Oh, you know what? And I think Harley Quinn is in that, and she's kind of good, actually. So that would be, makes sense. We've got uh, spray-colored hair for her and everything, and Milo's got, like, a complete black suit that's a skeleton that glows in the dark. And I even went and bought a skeleton mask yesterday because, like, you know what? Why not? 
Why not have some Halloween fun? It's hilarious. I remember trick-or-treating as a kid, and one year, worst trick-or-treating experience ever, my dad decided to take us to um, PTL, Heritage USA, the church he ran. Well, they had, they had like, houses there, you know? Like, people lived on the, at Heritage. It wasn't just a, a just place you visit you could live there dogwood hills was one of the names of the the uh, places where people lived and so my parents decided uh, we'd go trick-or-treating there that year well not realizing that my parents were like the only people at here at usa who thought trick-or-treating wasn't satanic so literally we showed up at everybody's house trick-or-treat we don't do that here you know most of the lights were what are you and then they would look in the back and they would see my parents and the security guards and the next thing you know like we had apples and pennies you know it was yeah it's like mom and dad next time we just stay in our own neighborhood and trick-or-treat um that would be better so yeah that was a bummer of a of a year for trick-or-treating at the uh christian neighborhood and it's just you know weird I also remember one really early memory of Halloween is there was a, at school, it was dressed up like your favorite Bible character. And for some reason, my mom and dad thought a Roman soldier would be good for me. Like, oh, why don't you dress up like an occupier, like the people who killed Jesus? Um, that was a little bit strange. Uh, you know, I had like a dress on, like kind of like a little, little, little frolicky, like, thing with with cowboy boots and like I think I put a broom on a hat or something yeah those those were the days um, lots of lots of fun memories revolution used to do some fun stuff in Atlanta for for Halloween we one time we rented out a bar and we did a hundred dollars worth of Paps blue ribbon for anyone who was 21 or over and um, so the first you know few people uh, could have a free beer and then my band played and a bunch of other bands played and yeah it was really a fun night and it was at the star bar in atlanta and that was a good time um i know beer slippery slope that's how i ended up talking about grace um but yeah well let's get let's let's i guess get into this thing but I, oh what i was going to say about belfast is one it's my one of my favorite places on earth and oh man i got to hang out with so many amazing people in Belfast and um, one of the reasons I was there is that um, we me and Pete and Helen uh, are working on a project together and it's based in the UK is all I can say um, but we got some progress basically and this project is going to be happening and I'm really excited about it but I can't tell you what it is right now contractually but um, I will tell you we will announce it I'm sure soonish but yeah so um, we got a lot of work done there and got all that stuff done so some cool things are are coming down the highway so Fingers crossed we uh, keep moving forward, but it looks pretty exciting that we've got some cool stuff coming down down the road for everybody. Um, and hopefully we can eventually get this thing on YouTube uh, live. We're on, you can, we have a YouTube channel and you can watch us. It's always a few days late. Um, 
but we're on YouTube. We're on every place you listen to podcasts as well. Um, but yeah, so check that out. But hopefully we'll just start getting on YouTube live soon as well because um, Facebook is just bizarre, you know. And I talk to a lot of people who don't even have Facebook, so they have to listen later. And YouTube, I think anybody can go watch. So I'm holding a Luther commentary, and today we're going to talk about Reformation. Um, and as a lot of people may know, uh, Martin Luther uh, was the original reformer of, uh, of Reformation and uh, why we have um, Catholics and Protestants and, and the Protestant Reformation happened. And there was just one part that I wanted to, um, to, to read from this, this commentary on Galatians. Um, by Luther, um, and it's pretty cool. Um, he says, we have undertaken to explain the letter, and it was Galatians that caused the Reformation. He read Galatians and was like, yeah, something's wrong with the church. We gotta change. Um, he goes, we have undertaken to explain this letter, talking about Galatians, not because it is necessary or because there is anything very hard in it, but our conscience may be strengthened against heresies yet to come. And so we will keep repeating things that other times we teach, preach, sing, and write about. For if we neglect the truth of grace, we lose everything. Therefore, it is most necessary that we teach and repeat above everything else. We cannot have grace urged upon us too often or too much even if we learn it and understand it it will none what understand it well none of us grasping it perfectly or believing it with his or her whole heart our flesh is so frail and often disobedient to the spirit and what i liked the idea was is i mean this book Kai's commentary on galatians is really good um Sorry, everybody. <sighs> it changed. You know, those are one of the books that changed my life. That was one of my early books that I, I read back in the day when I started really thinking about grace differently. And Lutherans really played a big part in that. And I feel like I've even gone further than, than that. But I think that's good to remember. And so let's talk about that. I've got my notebook out. Got up this morning, went and had some iced tea and uh, lemon loaf, and did this did this talk. Kind of worked it out. I'm always working it in the back of my mind. It's really weird how my brain works. Some people don't like being overthinkers. I don't mind. I, I kind of enjoy being an overthinker. Um, I guess it might be hard to be my friend sometimes because I'm always analyzing everything. Um, probably not the, the most fun person to date either. But anyway. So Reformation is, is, is what we're talking about today. And the idea is can we even reform again? Because it's not like when Luther had the Catholic Church, this one, you know, entity to go and find, nail up his, his 98 or 95 theses, you know, um, it was 
it was uh, it was a different time, obviously, and it was kind of a weird, gross time, to be honest with you, um, for everybody. And a lot of bad things came out of the Reformation as well as as, as good things. But um, it's not the same today because. You know, it's not that we're going to be reforming from the Catholic Church, you know. It's, it's, there needs to be a Protestant, a Reformation within the Protestant Church, um, or Church, capital C, but the Church has turned into so many little entities, you know. So we have all these different denominations and different groups, different people and different theologies and different ideas, and so what do we do in order to see Reformation today? it would seem uh, almost an impossible goal. Um, but I have to say, it's always been somewhat of an agenda of mine to see a modern-day Reformation happen in the church um, for, for a few reasons. And, and it keeps evolving, so this idea of Reformation and change keeps coming up in my life. Um, but how I grew up as a kid and what I believed about God, you know, it, it seems so similar to what even Luther believed about God, you know, that who's going to send this gross sinner and, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so wicked and all this stuff and beating himself and, and, uh, you know, felt like God hated him. And I was very similar in that way of, of this idea was, uh, you know, not really what my parents taught me, but what the people, my, once again, like the Halloween situation where all the people at the church didn't believe in trick-or-treating, but my parents thought were okay with it. Because um, often we, f we fill into these roles of what we should be or what we think we should do. So a lot of what I've heard growing up is like, you know, Jesus or God was like Santa Claus, you know, we better watch out you know, little feet, what you do. And so I, I had this constant fear. And then all those rapture movies, you know, come on, we're all been there. We all got screwed up in the head because of those things. Um, you know, and as a kid, you're told like, well, this is the truth. You know, it's pretty scary. Um, but growing up that way and having this feeling in my 20s that, you know, there was this man in the sky who kind of hated me if I did not do a, B, or C, you know, in my early, and it was probably 2021 where I started to understand grace as a concept and an idea um, that felt, that reformed me. And I was like, wow, why isn't this being taught more in the church? And why didn't I hear more of this growing up? And why didn't I see this? And so it was one of those things that really hit me. Also, I think why seeing the church, just the church alone's reaction to the failure of my parents was also another reason I thought, well, if we're about forgiveness and about grace, why didn't this happen, you know? Uh, you know, going through the prison experience with my father, you know, uh, seeing how very few people showed up to even visit him and see him. Um, and that being like basic commandments about Christianity. Um, so it became this thing of, of wow, I, I think the church has got to change. And I just continued to grow and talk about grace and then get shut down and then told I was preaching too much grace. And then all, you know, I just kept this thing of like, oh man, things have got to change. I think that's why I really connected to the emergent church in the little, I guess, early 2000s, late, yeah, probably early 2000s, um, because I felt like there was something happening 
in the church that was about, you know, like, oh, okay, there's a group of people with the, the evangelical, but they're Lutherans and they're Baptists and, you know, they're male and female and black and white. So, you know, I mean, you know, we have all these different denominations represented. So maybe this is where the Reformation is going to happen, you know, and, and reading Brian McLaren's books and things like that, I thought, oh, this is going to happen. This is, this may be the key. So I'm going to hang out with these folks. And it was cool until it died and it kind of fell on its own sword, to be honest with you, unfortunately, like a lot of movements do. And so how do we see, how do we attempt to even bring Reformation to the church today? And so honestly, I, I was in, I see an analyst here in Seattle, um, <laughs> and I was talking about Reformation and how it just felt impossible and he said well how would you do it and so I, you know I gave a few little thoughts and ideas of what I thought it would require but I thought it was impossible um, but these are the kind of the things the things that I that I I looked I, I thought of and so I'm going to share those with you today and and I think you know, the reason I push myself to read Hegel and Tillich and King and, you know, Hegel's really taken up a lot of my time. I mean, it takes like 110% to read that guy. Um, so that's taking up a lot of my time right now is just trying to figure that and read that. But I feel like and even Freudian stuff, which I know some is controversy, controversial sometimes, uh, leads us to, uh, has led me to a different way of thinking and is pushing me to think in different ways and ask different questions and, uh, and, and not just see, you know, um, things and uh, see a bigger picture, you know. Um, so, so let, let's try to get through this if we can. We can. Um, I'm going to start in Luke uh, 9. Where are you, Luke 9? There you are. Luke 9, 23. Um, and this is, this is Jesus. It says, uh, then he said to them all, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And it goes on to say, for those who want to save their lives will lose it. And those who lose their lives for my sake will save it. What does it profit them to gain the whole world, but lose and fulfill themselves? But the part I wanted to focus on is, is, is just the beginning at 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, I think we have to unpack this a little bit because I think most of us have been told denying ourselves was a lot of other things than I think Jesus is talking about here. Um, and because the church is really good at majoring in minors and saying... You know, you know, denying your don't you know like don't celebrate Halloween, 
don't, you know, don't, uh, you know, watch yourself, watch your sexuality, watch other people's sexuality, watch your drinking, watch your, what your intake. I'm not saying that these things aren't important, but that's what the church kind of just went and took it to these small, these few things and said, this is how it is. Um, but I don't think we realize the magnitude of what Jesus means when he says, take up your cross. Because taking up your cross is not just for a few particular little things here and there. It's grace. It covers everything. It covers everyone. It is a sacrifice for every human. It is a sacrifice for everyone. It is, it is, is, it is inclusion. It's not exclusion. You know, and it's saying you know you're going to have to deny yourself some in order to include others. That's what it's saying is that, you know, you might have to make some sacrifices in order to love others, in order to show others grace. You may have to have a burden that you carry. And sometimes that burden can be just as quickly as not saying anything, listening, arguing well, having tough conversations, um, trying to have empathy, or even the uh, the the wisdom to know who you're having conversations with and how, where you can and cannot go into those conversations. I know it sounds complicated, um, but it, it, it's bigger than we want to make it. And, and so I'm going to say, like, let's look at it in a big way. Let's step back and see it in a huge way and understand that taking up your cross isn't what a lot of us were taught as, as, as kids. You know, taking up your cross is, is how we love others how we love our enemies um, would be a very good thing. And the idea of when Christ talks about losing your life for others, you know, he's not just saying losing your life for just the poor, but he's saying losing your life for your enemies as well, and maybe by your enemies. Um, so this is, this is a big thing, and this is a big part of, of, of the faith and the religion of Christianity um, that a lot of us sometimes aren't comfortable with or don't want to talk about or we focus on other people's what we call some people call sin or other people's faults and 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 little things and oh they're not dying to themselves or you know whatever you know um and it gets it gets redundant and ridiculous because we don't realize how big this is and if we realize how big this is a lot of those things that we focused on, a lot of those minors that we focused on in the past, we would not even see. Um, we would see people differently. We would see each other differently. And, and I'm going to challenge you this all using, trying to use the Bible, but also using some, some Tillich thoughts, some, some Lutheran thoughts, and maybe even some Hegel thoughts, if I could freaking remember anything Hegel said. This, my readings this week were tough. Thanks, Rollins, for introducing me to that guy. Um... Galatians. What? We're only supposed to read Galatians the beginning of the year, right, Jay? Oh, see? I'm a lawbreaker. I'm lawless. <laughs> Gonna reform revolution. Um, Galatians 2.20. Uh, where is it? There it is. Um, Paul says, and it is not no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in this flesh. I live to, tr 
live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, I like this part too. I'll just read it because I like it. I do not nullify grace of God for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I always like that. But anyway, back. I live by faith in the Son of God. I've given up my flesh. I live by Christ. So Paul is taking what Christ is saying and, and, and applying it to his own life and saying, you know, I live by Christ. I don't live for myself anymore. And if you read the book of Galatians, you'll understand he's saying something that's really hugely inclusive um, for what he sees in his vision and through his eyes. Um, the uncomfortable part is that he asks us to join him in that way of thinking, in that way of, of uh, in that perspective of inclusion and uh, dying to one's flesh. And that's where it becomes tricky. And it continues to be tricky. Uh, and I'll tell you what, our culture and our devices and our medias and all the things makes it much, they're making it much, much harder for us to uh, want to die to ourselves. But it's also making it the reality that maybe this is a time to pick up our cross. Oh, maybe this is my flesh. You know, maybe this is time to, to move forward, you know. Um, maybe it is to forgive those who don't know what they're doing. Maybe it's time to do that. And that's a big part of, of, of you know, of the thing is, 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 is that grace covers, you know, this, this idea of, you know, ignorant. And we make ignorant like it's a bad word. I, I don't like that because all you're saying is, is there's someone who, who hasn't been taught something. They're ignorant of it. They don't know. They haven't learned that. They haven't been taught that. Um, you know, I was ignorant of Tillich until I started reading Tillich, and I still have some ignorance towards Tillich because there's a lot there, you know. Um, you know, but these ideas are, I'm starting to learn and starting to grow. So when you forgive those who know not what they do, he's saying you forgive those who are ignorant, you know. And sometimes you think about it, those who hurt us the most are often ignorant and don't understand why they're hurting us or they're, they're under misinformation that they feel like they have to hurt us to serve Jesus. They think that that's what they're doing is right because they've gotten this mentality of that. It's like, you know, we got to get to glory land. And they think, well, I just have to treat everybody like shit in this group, you know. Well, that's also a type of ignorance because they haven't been exposed to a deeper understanding of what the gospel is. They have about a sixth grade understanding and an American traditional idea of Christianity and kind of a Puritan ideal of Christianity that they've been taught. Um, uh, but it's easy, like grace can't be taught enough. And I think that's true because, I mean, I've, I've seen Lutherans who go to like, oh, I kind of get tired of the idea of grace. You know, because I've heard it growing up my whole life. You know, I'm like, I'm exactly the opposite. How could you say that? You know, and uh, so it's this idea is like we have to kind of keep this idea not so ex much as exciting, but relevant to the world that we live in. But it's going to be really hard. I promise you, this, this, is, get, this is going to get harder. This is not a day of, 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 oh, you're loved and accepted. That's all true. But this is part of it that's going to get harder if you want 
to enter into the cause of reformation in the church. If you want to take the advice of Christ and the Apostle Paul, those are two people I'll be working with today, um, as usual, I guess. Um, if you want to take that advice seriously to your heart and you claim to be the follower of Jesus, then this is something that's not going to be easy to probably hear. It's not going to be something that's probably very easy to do. It doesn't matter. Honestly, to me, it doesn't. if you do it or you don't do it, you're still loved and accepted. That's not about it. But if you want to be a reformer, then this is something you, 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 these are things and these are steps that we'll probably need to take in my humble opinion. Um, dying to self. The institution is not the only thing that we, needs reforming. We need reforming. We need to, like, I, I can't explain how continuous learning has helped me to continue to learn and grow and study um, philosophy and theology um, to the point where I don't really even read much fiction anymore um, has I don't I don't have time you know but and people are like well don't, why don't you read something for fun I'm like well I, it's kind of fun as well to me you know it's kind of fun and exciting because this is a passion and a purpose I'm very blessed to be able to do what I love um, and, and talk about what I love. Um, but we also, we do, we need reforming. We need to uh, think differently. It's so, oh my gosh, my friend Pete Sunberg just clicked on and he lived in Dogwood Hills. <laughs> Hi, Petey. Um, so, so we need a reformation in our own mind, in our own lives, you know, to do that. And that's the tough thing. That's, that's where it gets really naily tough. Um, because what we've done in the church, I mean, I could go outside the church, but right now, since we're talking about reformation, we're going to kind of stick within the church thing, is what we've done in the church these past I guess it's been 20 years. I, I, as I get older, everything seems like it's only been five years ago. Um, maybe longer, maybe 30 or 40 years, probably longer than that even, but just in my little memory of life. Um, we've gone to war with each other. We've gone to war with each other. And it's like we're all just going to each other's houses and, and, and nailing our reformation ideas to just individuals' doors. And then they nail one to our door, and then we go back and nail another one to their door why it's wrong. Um, you know, it, it, it's not the gospel. The church being at war with itself, that's why we call revolution right now a gathering and not a church and that type of thing. The church with this war that's happening within the church and belittling one another and excommunicating one another and canceling one another is not in the gospel. There's lots of books where you can read and, and it will give you reasons why you should do that. There's probably even some books in the Bible that you could go to and say, oh no, this seems like I should cancel people. I mean, you could probably justify it. But what I understand is my concept of, of the gospels and the teachings of Paul that are actually Paul, not the pseudo-Pauls, is that 
we are called uh, to love others radically and to love the ignorant radically and to love our enemies radically and to go to war and to belittle the other is not loving them. Telling people to not associate with each other because they're based on their political beliefs may not necessarily be the most loving thing to do. I never felt that it was very loving when people said don't associate with certain people based on their sexuality. I felt that that was wrong. Um, the problem is, is we say, well, we want these safe spaces or we don't want to be triggered or we don't, you know, we don't hurt. Now, listen, if those are things that you need to deal with, I always recommend really good therapy because that's what I do. And that's what's helped me a lot, be able to go into places where I'm not welcome uh, and really work on self-acceptance. DBT really helped me a lot with self-acceptance to the point where all of a sudden these people's opinions and ideas of mine just, I could care less. Um, it's just their opinion. Um, and I know not everybody's there. So I, I don't want to, to, to think or, or to project that on you. But, but the idea is, is that this is what's going to start taking us into a reformational idea and a reformation is if we really do radically love each other and that's not going to war with each other. That's not belittling one another and that's not um, canceling each other. So that's really really tough um, I'm gonna try to go further because I got a lot of notes here one of the issues is and this isn't gonna be this is the tough one folks and if you want to get angry that's fine get angry with me I, I totally understand it um, I get it especially coming from me um, but one of the things is, is, is we are so focused on our identities and that social media and regular media and Hollywood and critics and everyone, we've got these identities. Now you think, maybe, is he just talking about the left? You know, like, you know, pronouns? No, 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 no. The right to is obsessed with their identities. <laughs> so don't worry, I'm talking about a lot of us. I'm not talking about just one side here. But we become very focused on our identities in, 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 in a way that we're at war with anyone else because our identities are, and for good reasons a lot of the times, because we're being attacked, because there's prejudice, because there's sexism, because there's heterosexism. Uh, you know, political bias, uh, uh, you know, different things, racism, which is really ugly. You know, but there are all these horrible things uh, that I mentioned um, that cause us to kind of cling to something. And I'm not saying these things are bad, but what I'm saying is, is for us to move further than that, those we have to do what we realize is, okay, it's okay that those people are your enemies. That's fine. But if you want to take the Christian way, is it's how do I end up loving those enemies? And if you want to take it further and say, I want to be a reformer, how do I communicate with those who do not love me? How do I communicate with those who persecute me? And um, I feel like I get a little bit of grace here because I know what it's like to be persecuted just for the freaking last name, just because of my parents, still to this day. 
you know. So maybe give me a little grace there. I, I, I live where I live. I, I'm, I'm really poor. You know, I don't have a lot of money. I don't. Have, you know, I, I, I have mental. I'm mentally have mental health issues. You know, so I'm just saying. But those aren't all my identities. But I can understand where I want to go and grab on to those. Not even Christianity is my identity. I'm just Jay. Um, but in order for me to love others, I can't let it become an us and them situation. I can't return what others are doing to me. You know what I'm saying? I can't return the favor because they're already theming me or saying, you know, you're, you're over there and we're over here. You know, I'm not, I'm just saying, no, it's we, it's not me and you. It's not us and them. It, it's, it's us, whether you like it or not. We're all humans going through a human experience, which is extremely painful and suffering for everyone. And there's a common ground there, like my son's costume tonight, his skeleton costume, we're all bones. You know, with our brain is imprisoned in these white bones and these pink muscles and these gross, you know, blue and green guts. Um, and I'm saying that is because it, we have to, if we want reformation and we want to change, there will be a, a time where we have to take up our cross. Jesus is being spit on. He's being beaten and he's being forced to carry his execution machine up a hill. I mean, do you understand? This is what Jesus is going through and this is what Jesus is doing and this is what Jesus is saying. If you want to follow me, take this up, not just once a year. He's saying, take this up daily. What Paul is saying is that I don't live by my own will anymore. I don't live by my idea. I live my life based on my identity in Christ, which part of that identity is being willing to go speak to people about the unknown God and maybe be dragged out into the street and beaten for it. That's why I love Dr. King, because I think Dr. King is, is, is a modern-day apostle, prophet, and honestly, I think letter to a Birmingham jail from a Birmingham jail should be in the Bible. It should be canonized, period. If I was on the canonizing group, I'd vote. Um, can we work with those we disagree with for the greater good or our greater good? Even our greater good. Can we work with those we disagree with that those who refuse to recognize us, even our humanity, are we willing to figure out a way to reach those? Remember Jesus, when Jesus was sitting with, with, with Matthew and the tax collectors and the, the, the Pharisees came along and said, why does he eat with those scum? I mean, it was a racial thing. Why is he, there's Gentiles there. There's also traitors there. There was, there was all sorts of judgment going on when those guys came up and said, why does he eat with such scum? Why does he eat with those people? That's disgusting and it's unclean and it's against the biblical law. You know, it's, it's against the law. This isn't, this isn't right. Why is Jesus doing this? I love we just dropped down a bunch of listeners. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I, don't, I understand. I, I don't like dealing with it either. I don't like thinking about it either because it's tough. It's tough work. And I, I, what I'm asking is, is, is something that's tough to do. Um, if you want to be a reformer. If not, then don't worry about this. Don't, you can just say, I'll listen, Jay. This is cool. May I ask some questions, but it's not really my thing. You know? Or it's just, I'm not at that place. I'm not ready. Okay, that's cool. I wasn't ready at that place a long time ago. I get it. Um, can we work together? And I'm going to read Galatians 3. 
because I was getting trouble for this. And honestly, this concept of 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 seeing others differently is not my concept. It's what I've learned from following Christianity, from from being a follower, reading the Bible, and and from understanding the traditions of Christianity. And Galatians is the one that nails it pretty hard. Is um, in Galatians three, I always kind of dread going there when we're going through it because I, I know there's going to be pushback. Um, but it goes as many of you were happened to be in 327, uh, Galatians 3.27. As many of you are and were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ, just like Paul said earlier, clothing myself with Christ, taking up your cross daily, all this stuff. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what's strange is that sometimes this verse works really well for us and we're able to use it and attack people, <laughs> our enemies, with it. And then sometimes it doesn't work for us because then people are like, well, I, I, yeah. Because it's saying, if we allow our identity to be in Christ, this cross carrier, this spit upon, beaten upon man who asked us to love our enemies, and to do good to those who persecute us, if we're going to be followers of this person, um, Paul's saying that in our group, we can't be divided on the basis of identity. And so to my conservative friends, I go, well, you may disagree with my LGTQ brothers and sisters, but they are still your brothers and sisters, and you cannot discriminate against them based on their identities. And to my fellow leftists, we cannot discriminate against conservatives based on their voting point. We cannot, it's not what we do. We are called to love people equally to sit down, have hard conversations. The Bible says be ready to give an answer. You know, these are things that the Bible is encouraging us to do, and this is growth. This is growth in Christianity. This is radical growth in Christianity is what it looks like. And why is grace there? Because it's so damn hard to do. It's so damn hard to believe. Especially when you've been beat up your whole life, and now you're going like, I, you want me to do what? But the problem is society says if you've been beaten up and you've done this, then tell everybody to piss off and go your own way and live your own, do your own thing and just leave them alone. And matter of fact, attack them right back. And that's what I see often is that these people, often in, in, our, in Christianity, they just trade denominations, they trade belief systems, but they keep that fervor. You know what I mean? You know, now they're legalistic. On the, instead of being conservative legalistic, now they're liberal legalistic or they're, you know, whatever legalistic you know, or woke legalistic or, you know, whatever, legalistic. Legalism, just move, legalism, unfortunately, is much like grace, is that it will move through every group and every system and find its way in, much like grace can, in order to, to uh, you know, in order to manipulate us. And we end up destroying each other. And we see this a lot with organizations. We see this in the church. The church is destroying itself. Perfect example. One, turning on each other. We see this all the time with politics and politicians. 
They don't do the right thing. They turn on each other. They fight each other. We see this people who are on the same teams, on you know, or same groups, the same communities, you know, going after each other online. You know, we see this all up because they're saying, well, you're not pulling the party line or you're not doing this because we're, what we're doing, we're nitpicking and we're getting legalistic and we're going into the law. And we love legalism. I'd say the one thing we probably love more than grace in that concept is legalism. And it's so ingrained within us that it's in our unconscious. And so it's moving in us and coming out of us and we don't even realize that the legalism is coming out of us and that we're doing this and that we're putting it onto other people and that we're holding people to impossible standards the same way the Pharisees did. The same way when Jesus and, and Paul both said to the Pharisees, you crush these people with impossible standards that you yourself can't live by and you turn them into twice the son of hell that you are. And this is what happens when we beat and devour one another because the Bible, and Paul talks about the prayer of biting and devouring one another is when we are so focused on, on who we are and that who they are and us and them and that we beat people down, we beat each other down, that we just that person usually ends up giving up and moving on. It's not working. So I'm asking some of you today if you're willing to think about making a sacrifice, uh, if, you're, if you feel that you're strong enough to be a part of a reformation, that will probably need reforming anyway down the road, to be honest with you, reforms is why we, that, look, we need it now. You know, we needed it 100 years ago, hundreds of years ago, uh, the reform, the reform. You know, it has to keep reforming and keep changing and keep evolving. Um, but are you willing to go into the good fight. Uh, someone said we could also call it white supremacy culture. Well, yeah, you could call it Christian supremacy culture. You could call it woke supremacy culture. You could call it any type of supremacy that says I super soup over you. That's why I don't like the word um, homophobia so much. It's because homophobia is the idea that I'm afraid of the LGBTQ community. That's why I like heterosexism because heterosexism points out the word literally means that you are a heterosupremist. That you think your lifestyle of heterosexuality is superior to those in the LGBTQ community. So that's why I, I use heterosexism and, and not homophobia because I just it's just a little thing in my brain that just drives me crazy and, and probably not that big a deal because people have turned homophobia into heterosexism to that word, but Really, heterosexism points that out. And then I ask this question. If we want to reform, you know, I, I have some guy pastor here. who His whole point of this pastor was, is to, was to reach, since white supremacists got brought into this, was to reach people in the Klan. I wish I could remember his name. I have one of his books back here somewhere. Uh, maybe over there, and I can't see that far. But he went and said, I'm going to speak with these people eat meals with these people, sit down with these people, and help these people be delivered from this misinformation. That was his goal. And you know what? People hated him. And people said, oh, you're just a racist. And that's why you spend time with these racists. And he goes, no, these racists, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I think these people are sick and misinformed. And I have to, they're not going to come to my church, so I have to go sit and eat with them and have conversations with them. You know, he was putting his life on the line, um, but even the white supremacists 
have to be reached and shown the error of their ways. That is your enemy, and mostly common to most people enemy, because I would say, if you're, unless, you're not, unless you're a white supremacist, um, and there's probably enemy camps in the, within there too, but we are called to love those people and to break their chains of legalism and supremacy and to ask them to say, recognize and help them recognize the humanity of the other. It's, it sucks, right? It's tough work. You know, all of a sudden, like nine to five, going to a boring job doesn't seem that big of a deal, right? Because like, let me just get my shit done, go home, make dinner, put the kids to bed, have a little bit of Netflix, go to bed myself, clean when I can. But I, I, I'm just saying this is why Reformation seems impossible. Because we have all these isms and these bad isms that we can't, that we've thrown out the people with the isms. And because we see, we see them as evil and not the ideas of evil. And we see them as the enemy and not their ideas of the enemy. And we're called to liberate them as well. You know, so we have to reach those who are being persecuted and stand with those who are being persecuted 100%. But who's going to reach the persecutor? And unfortunately right now, this is all happening within a church system because we're talking about Reformation Day is that we have both of them in the, the church community. And how do we truly love our enemies? And maybe it's just praying for them. Maybe it's just thinking about them. Maybe it's just, I don't know, sharing a meal with them. I know this is hard stuff to, to think about and talk about, and it really troubles me to at a certain level, but then there's a certain level of where, you know, when I start to read uh, philosophy uh, in a deeper sense, I start to realize and start to look at things like capitalism and the involvement that that plays within how people are set and think and what we do and this constant need to, to fill a void that we should actually be living with rather than trying to fill. Um, and often that void, we will sometimes fill that void with a certain even identities or with things like that. But I want to tell you what I, I think the void actually may be what God, the God within us is that void. And so I think we need to be careful about what we're putting into that void. I know this is it's tough stuff to wrap your mind around. I, 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 I struggle with it as well. Um, but once again, back at Paul, neither Jew nor Gentile, man or free, slave or free. I mean, slave or free, come on, Paul. Like, if Paul said, that, if Paul tweeted that out today, what do you think people are like, Paul, are you insane? Neither male or female, tell me that to my paycheck, you know? Tell me that to the, how I got harassed on the way home. You know, people would say those, you know, like, come on, Paul. And I don't think Paul is saying, like, the, you know, I don't know exactly little details that are there, but what Paul is trying to encourage us is to say, have your identity in Christ. You know? And, and that identity in Christ is not being like, I'm a Christian soldier, you know, and waving the Christian flag. It's loving your enemies and being kind to those who persecute you. It's loving your neighbors as yourself. It's taking care of the poor, you know? 
how about this? How about we just find denominations that we go find, like denominations that don't like each other, and just go, hey, let's get Christmas gifts for kids. Or let's get clothes for children. Can we do that together? Can we agree that children have the right to eat and be clothed? You know, and that's what bothers me. That's what bothered me about, you know, Samaritan's Purse and people like that is because they say, well, we don't want you here. Okay, so Samaritan Purse is we don't want you here. So what is our job now? Our job is to say, we do want you here, and we also want Samaritan's Purse to come here, but we all want to be in one community, having tough conversations as we pack the groceries, as we put the clothes together, as we put the toys, because kids need to play, kids need to enjoy life as children. You know, let's put these things together, and let's have tough conversations, but remember that none of these conversations are more important than these little ones eating, playing, and having clothes to, to live in. Now, I know this, in some ways it seems simple, in other ways it seems complicated, and you know, people are gonna, but the problem is when we exclude each other, there's not gonna be a reformation. Um, I mean, the fact is, is I, I just wish people would realize like some people are just closed-minded and, and, and ignorant and haven't been taught certain things and that some of those folks would just realize, hey, some people are, are gay and lesbian, bisexual and transgender and some people are liberals and some people are conservatives and they all have different histories and human experiences that developed to, to come to that place in life. Is there not a way to recognize humanity and how do we recognize basic humanity in order to become a, a church that is a full of people who have, are not just diverse on the outside, but diverse in the mind. And revolution's done that. I know who, what's who some of you vote for, and I know who some of you think, and how you were raised. We've had these conversations. We, we are a community of diverse thought, but not a very big community of diverse thought. You know, and then it's like, well, then do we enable the disablers and are we doing this thing? And it's going, no, because we speak truth, but we learn how to speak truth gently and through love. And even in those ways, it's not going to be completely accepted. But Jesus was dead at 33. I think the only apostle that, uh, that lived was John. I think he was the only one who lived into old age. The rest were all killed. Just like Dr. King. Just like Malcolm X. Just like Gandhi. You know, so I'm not asking anybody to do anything that's easy. I mean, fortunately now we're not blown away. We're morally just canceled. You know, that kind of seems to be the new assassination is we just ruin people's reputations. Um, and then nobody, you know, most of the folks don't have to go to jail who are involved in that. Putting others... Over our agenda is what Paul is calling us to do. Because when he's talking to the Galatians, he's saying, come on. Because you have Jewish Christians saying, well, we don't think the Galatians, I mean, these, these, these non-circumcised Gentiles really deserve to be with us. You know, but if they get circumcised and they eat certain foods and they do the certain holidays, then maybe we will accept them if they change. And Paul is saying, that's not going to happen. 
keep doing what you're doing, but they're going to keep doing what they're doing, and we're all accepted here. That's the Reformation. That's the change. That's the radical message of the gospel. Now, listen to me. Hear me out. When we enter into this type of movement, when we enter into this type of thought process, people will be radically changed. You will be radically changed, and those other folks will be radically changed. And it's like when grace comes in, it's like you are accepted no matter what. doesn't matter. Drunk, drugs, booze. I mean, I'm telling all the stuff I did. Whatever. You're accepted. And it was only at that moment where I realized that it didn't matter anymore is where it mattered to me. That's the power of grace. And so it's saying, how do we create an environment of grace? Not a safe space, because an environment of grace, you don't need grace in a safe space because you're safe and everybody's on the same page. How do we create an environment of grace where we're giving each other grace and we're really working through hard shit to become a community of believers? Then maybe one day we can move on and say, all right, we're getting rid of denominations. <laughs> I don't know. That's just an idea. Probably won't catch on. Um, we're going to close church buildings down. You know, we're just going to meet at bars and eat dinner. Um, and make sure kids are taken care of and make sure human rights are taken care of. I don't know. Here's this, and it's a little play off of the John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, which I think now we should be asking what our country can do for us. But anyway, side point. It has to move through denominations. It has to move through theology. It has to move into the human experience, you know, and, and realize suffering is a big part of what connects the human experience. And one of the things I just want to point to this is, you know, Think about suicide. A lot of people who commit suicide are, are, are wealthy and they're white and they're rich and they're famous. And, uh, you know, and, and they're usually men my age. I tried to kill myself a few years ago, honestly, and I woke up in a, am, uh, in a hospital. They'd get, I don't remember the ambulance. Um, you know, so suffering and pain and self-doubt and fear come to everyone. Horror and pain that seems hopelessness is something that everyone has connected to at one point in their life. So I did this playoff of Kennedy's thing, and it was like, ask what you can do for others, not what they can do for you. What can I do for others, not what can others do for me? Unfortunately, that is probably the least PC thing in the world to say right now for both sides or just even the least cool thing to say right now. And I'm not really freaking worried about being cool anymore. Um, but what am I doing for others? Not what are others doing for me? You know, and there are others that need us to do for them. You know? Even if it just simply says, you know, you just start to pay attention to the poor or the homeless or the mentally ill or the, the victims of this world. Um, but not, what can others do for me? And that's the thing is, we, we, I think we often get in this mindset of we want to change people right away. We want people to think like we think. 
believe what we believe and agree with us or we can't sit at the table and it's just making us really selfish human beings to the point where it feels like we're almost psychotic. Like we're almost so on all the time that we've almost become psychotic with how we treat each other and then we start turning on each other and these systems start to die. Much like capitalism, I've seen capitalism, the 80s was amazing and now I'm watching capitalism just, it really was amazing in the 80s but that's I mean, probably peaked around those times, 60s, 70s, 80s. But now we're seeing it really tear people's life. We're starting to see an even drastic, more drastic, rich to poor kind of thing. And systems sometimes just need to wear themselves out as well. And we just have to let that process take place. But as those processes take place, what are we doing for the community? Are we taking up our cross or are we asking other people to carry our cross for us? You know, I'd be willing to grab a couple crosses for a few days. I've done it before, you know, probably not the most healthy thing to do. But, but that's what I want to encourage you here, is to just think differently, think radically differently, and it's really tough. And I know I'm asking, like, I feel like I'm asking people to do more than, than more than donate $1,000 for Jesus. You know, I feel like I'm, or, you know, get a food bucket or whatever. I, I'm, no, I feel like I'm asking more of you. I'm asking more of you to say, love those who hate you and, you know, who don't even recognize you. Can you love those people and then let your identity be that that's in Christ and that your main identity is, well, I just love my enemies. So, you know, I, I need to know what I can do for you, not what you can do for me, you know. Prove them wrong. Uh, you know, kill them with kindness. Maybe don't kill them with kindness, but maybe reform them with kindness. Just ideas. We can barely love those in our own community in life, and that's a strange, that's a struggle. I get it. I mean, I'm so introverted that I barely see people. When I'm not with my kids, I barely see people. That's why I probably should find a building and start having meetings. That's what I got for you today. That's what I think is going to require us just to hit the tip of the iceberg of if we want a reformation in this time and space of, uh, that we live in. And so if the 16 of you that are watching this live, and I know a lot of people watch later and stuff like that, but, you know, think about ways to do this. Maybe we can get there. Um, Wow, I went an hour. All right, I'm going to try to look through some of your stuff and see if there's any questions because this is usually where I do a little bit of that. Um, since Caleb has not been around, I have not done that as much because honestly, it's a lot harder to do when you're just here and you're turning, you're in your mid 40s and you refuse to get uh, bifocals. Um, okay. Well, it will only let me go up to a certain extent now. That's weird. Someone wrote, um, Roberta wrote, uh, politics and family, ugh, no kidding. It's like, <laughs> and uh, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, family and politics and food, oh my. Um, <laughs> holidays are coming. Um, transformation of the sick and misunderstood is not so much harder than Hunkering, to, oh man, you guys keep asking questions and this thing keeps moving. Uh, okay, I'll try to Transformation of the sick mis, uh, and the misinformed is so much harder than 
hunkering down with the like-minded groups. I agree. Uh, love can be hard sometimes. Yeah, it really can. It really hurts like a, the dickens sometimes. Um, Beth said she was talking to her son today about this very thing, which is really cool. Zoe says, uh, cancel culture is attractive for the same reason as legalistic fundamentalism. Uh, ooh, this is a long one. It allows us to feel comforted to knowing that we are, we in our group is the most pure and the most correct, like religious fundamentalism. It requires us to police one another, making sure we are keeping our group pure. It will turn us, and the culture expands us and ex expels us quickly as fundamentals expelled heretics. Cancel culture influences nobody except those who buy into it. It's the opposite of grace. It has no power to change the world. It is a culture of fear and paralyze. It divides. It is a cousin of identity politics. Holy moly, Zoe. You guys, you should talk to Zoe. They are awesome. They're awesome. It's hard work, uh, Thomas. <laughs> I know. It's really hard work. Uh, Beth says it's been deep on her heart. Jennifer, I went to be friends. Oh, sorry, everything was... I want to be friends with people I like. Me too. It's like we need supremacy undone before we try to undo the supremacist views. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world. Yeah. Well, then I think we have to start looking into that. Uh, dehumanizing is the biggest cause of ism. We don't see them, just see their labels. Yeah. Agree. Zoe says Paul would be canceled today. Agree. <laughs> Deplatformed. Um, all right, here's one that might be a little pushback. I could use some. I hear what you're saying, but when there is an uneven power dynamic, I feel like the protecting the safety and inclusion of the marginalized is more critical to what I am called to do in the church than protecting feelings of the biggest of the bullies. All right, Thomas, I am going to push back on that. This is great. Here we go. And this is why. Thomas, I hear what you're saying. And in the church, you're right. There are a lot of bullies and uh, uh, people. And why protect them? Um, but I would say right now, there are people who are in marginalized communities that I would be more afraid to offend than anyone in the Christian community or even Republicans or even Democrats because it, it leads, it, the cancel culture comes from, it starts to come out of that. And so there is a power play at play there as well. And it's more complex than we give it. I mean, look at Hollywood, look at these different things, look at people and how, you know, what we're doing, things are changing. So there is a power dynamic there that is not um, black and white. You know, there is somewhere, it's like these people are being real cool and hurt and then there's a power dynamic where, where you have to watch everything you say, which I think is good. I think it's great that people are saying, hey, you can't talk about these people anymore. You can't do this anymore. We're, we're done with it. I think it's good. I don't think canceling is the answer. I think helping the misinformed is, is better of an answer. But I will say that we are in a place where it's not that, you know, I, I would say it's that's 
very uh, basic thinking for on my, well, I would say, and I don't mean that as an insult, but it's just saying like, you know, because marginalized people are starting to have a lot of power and what I want to see them do with that power is not do what people did with them who had the power before. Some marginalized people, not all marginalized people. I, I'm not gonna say that. I'm not saying all marginalized people have power, but some are. And so what I want, hope is that people aren't you know, using that power to get revenge because revenge isn't what Christianity is called. If outside of Christianity, you want to get revenge, knock yourself out, have a great time. But in Christianity, we're not supposed to get revenge. We're not called to revengeance. And we're called to love and, and do that. So um, I'm, you know, I still work with the marginalized mostly. You know, those are the people, my people. Those are the people who embrace my family, embrace me, and, and care about me, you know. But the greatest gift I can give back to them is, is, is encourage them to not let the hate overtake them, to not let the hurt and the pain uh, turn their hearts, their hearts hard, um, and, and to live angry, because that's a dangerous place. And then with legalism and anger start to connect, it becomes very dangerous, and that's why I said I feel like we're at war with one another. But then again, you might not be called to the whole point of, of, of Reformation either. I don't know. You know, that's, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's, a particular, that's something that we all have to do or if it's a particular thing that some of us have to, to lead and do and, and, and work on. But I think we have to ask this. Um, because usually who you fear is who controls you. And honestly, I'm probably more afraid of woke people right now than I am of any conservative Christians in my life. Those are the people who would, who could, you know, if I don't say the right things and toe the line, I get in trouble. You know, There's people why I've had to shut my Facebook down for months at a time, or why I've had to block certain things. I've had both sides say stuff, but I'm just surprised by the many of people who are progressive and woke and love the less of these still feel the willing to tell me that my mother's a clown and wants to go to, you know, and, and a scam artist and all this kind of stuff, you know, you know, and I can't say anything to them because they're going, oh, well, you know, oh, sorry, white male privilege, you know, it's like, I get, yeah, I have white male privilege, but I also have mental health. I also have to live every day. I also have to take care of my children. I also have to try to pay my rent. You know, we're all going through life together and having different experiences. And if we just want to sum it up and say, well, these people are this way, these people are this way, and these people, you know, there are some great people who aren't marginalized who are amazing people who would give you the shirt off their back. You know, I mean, I know conservatives who would lay down their life for others. So I guess what I'm saying is, is we can't use broad strokes anymore. We can't have uh, some, we have to think critically and deeply and differently and, and see humans as individuals as well. Because um, the power is going to continue to move back and forth like it always has. That's just my two cents. Seems like an excellent way to start. Children are much more innocent and less indoctrinated. Yes, they are, man. My kids are awesome. Uh, Thomas said, uh, Thomas again, we may not have a community, but we touch a lot of people. And the good work revolution uh, is a long reach. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. And I'm going to give you a chance to see if you wanted to say anything back before I shut this thing down. Because I, sometimes when you say things, you don't mean to say them crappy, but they come out kind of crappy. Um, me too. Only caught half. Great talk. Catch up online. 
start later. Thank you. Um, you are also a human being. Yes, I am very much a human being. All right. Well, thanks, Pete. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I guess that's it. I don't see anything. Thanks for listening. This was a tough one. It's tough for me. We went through this together. Um, hey, listen, do have to pay bills and do things like that. So if you want to support Revolution Church or Revolution Community, you can go to revolutionchurch.com. Um, we have an identity crisis. Revolutionchurch.com slash, I believe it's donations. And um, donate there. And it's really grateful. We appreciate it. Um, keeps this going. We, we're, we're obviously run on a shoestring budget here, but, um, but we still need the donations to, to make this exist and make this happen and hopefully make more happen. And a lot of good stuff's coming in the future, and I'm excited about it. So thank you for your support and your love. Lots of grace. Peace. Bye-bye. listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.